Time passes, people move. Like a river's flow, it never ends. This is Legendary Adventures Podcast, a Legend of Zelda playthrough podcast. Having completed the Fire Temple and Forest Temple, there's really only one dungeon we can tackle next, the Water Temple. You'll recall I completed the Fire Temple first in this playthrough. The remaining two dungeons, the Shadow Temple and the Spirit Temple, are not accessible until after the Water Temple is completed. The Water Temple lies at the bottom of Lake Hylia. We actually saw it earlier in our playthrough while searching for Princess Ruto prior to entering Jabu Jabu's belly. The dungeon is, however, unreachable at the bottom of the lake bed. We must find some way to make it accessible, and what better place to start than Zora's Domain? Just outside the domain, it starts to snow, giving a hint to what we'll find inside. Putting the sleepless waterfall to rest and entering Zora's home, we'll find it's covered in ice. There are no Zoras visible save for one. King Zora is on his throne encased in a strange red ice. The shop on the lowest levels of the domain is also blocked by red ice. Heading to Zora's fountain, we find that Lord Jabu Jabu is missing, nowhere to be seen. In place of the great fish are a number of floating ice platforms. They allow Link to access a cave which was visible but unreachable during our first visit to the domain as a child. The challenge is getting there. The platforms are slippery and move in the water. Players have to navigate this platforming challenge to grab both a piece of heart and reach the cave. The cave is the first mini-dungeon of the game, the Ice Cavern. And this is a true mini-dungeon, perhaps more so than any other we've seen in the series to this point. It has some, but not all, of the hallmarks of a Zelda dungeon as we've come to know them. It's a unique themed space filled with puzzles, enemies, and challenges. There's a map and a compass inside, but there's no boss fight at the end, just a challenge room against a variant of a standard enemy. There's also no heart container to claim at the end of the dungeon, only a piece of heart tucked away in a side room. The ice caverns laid out on a single floor. The entire mini dungeon is designed in a very apparent loop. True to its name, it is ice themed. It's occupied by ice enemies. That includes the Freezards, which are made entirely out of ice and can freeze Link with their intensely cold breath. There are also Keese, or Bats, covered in a strange blue flame, which freezes Link upon touch. Other than Gold Skultalos, those are the only enemies we'll find here, save for the Challenge Room, which contains a White Wolfos. There are other icy challenges to navigate. Icicles drop from the ceiling when Link passes beneath them. Some floors are slippery. Notably, these slippery floors are light blue in color and have a grid pattern on them. This is a clear callback to the Ice Palace in A Link to the Pass. There are also traps to avoid, including the classic spike trap and a massive spinning blade. In the spinning blade room, players are introduced to a challenge which will be repeated across the remainder of dungeons in the game, the Silver Rupees. Inside the room there are five Silver Rupees. Link must dodge the large blade and collect all five in order to open a door. The main gimmick of this mini-dungeon involves a strange blue flame, which is described as being cold in temperature. There are cauldrons which hold these blue flames, and it's possible for Link to put a blue flame in a bottle. He can then dump it out to melt red ice. We find the first blue flame cauldron in the same room as the map. There's another and optional side room with the compass and a piece of heart. 
The silver rupees and the blue flames come together into what to me is the most memorable room of this mini dungeon, the ice block room. Players must push a block of ice across a slick floor to collect silver rupees. The floor is slick so the block will not stop until it hits an obstacle. There are also holes along the edges of the room. If the block falls down a hole, it will reset to the start. There's one silver rupee on a ledge covered in red ice. A blue flame cauldron can be reached on another ledge if players didn't bring a bottle of flame from a previous room. Blue flames are also needed to reach the final room of the ice cavern, so players can use this cauldron to pick up blue flames for that obstacle as well. Once all the rupees are collected, a door on a high ledge opens. Pushing the block down a hole resets the puzzle, allowing players to push it following a different pattern to reach the door. The pathway leads up to the previously mentioned room with the white wolfos. I beat it in two hits. After it falls, a chest appears with the mini dungeon item, the iron boots. These will allow Link to sink to the bottom of pools of water. Sheik then appears and explains they were able to free the Princess Ruto, who has gone on to the Water Temple, which is the source of the cursed ice freezing Zora's domain. Sheik then teaches Link the Serenade of Water, which allows the player to fast travel to the Water Temple. This is one of the few fast travel songs I personally make use of. The mini dungeon path loops around here allowing for a quick and easy exit, but I doubled back to collect two jars of blue fire. I used one jar of fire to thaw out King Zora. As a reward for doing so, he gifts Link a Zora tunic. The blue tunic allows Link to breathe underwater. I find it essential for the water temple. I also thought out the entrance to the shop. This is optional, but the shop does sell Zora tunics, providing another way to get one, or a way to get one should yours be eaten by a like-like. Now it's time to head to the Water Temple. The Water Temple is one of the most infamous dungeons in Zelda history. It has long been recognized as the most confusing and most frustrating part of Ocarina of Time. There's been a strong consensus for years that if there's a bad dungeon in the game, this is it. But in recent years, there seems to have been a re-evaluation of the Water Temple. It's not uncommon now to hear people say it's actually a good dungeon, some going so far to contend that it's among the best in Ocarina of Time, and potentially even among the best in the series. I'm somewhere in the middle. I don't think this is a bad dungeon, but I don't necessarily think it's great either. There are a few design choices which make the Water Temple a potentially frustrating experience, full of extensive backtracking which doesn't always feel earned. In a 1998 staff interview translated on Glitterberry's game translations, Eiji Onuma acknowledged the frustration of players, but said that wasn't necessarily his intention. He said, In the Water Temple, the player was required to solve puzzles in not just one room, but travel countless times to and from an area in order to unlock the solution. We were often told how stressful this was. I just wanted the player to relax and take it easy, play around a bit. I'm a fan of skin diving, you see. I like being in water. Besides, as long as you have the right items, you can stay in the water forever. In a 2009 interview with The Guardian, Onuma again acknowledged the frustrations players felt with the Water Temple, and one of the major pain points with the temple. 
The water temple in Ocarina of Time was notorious for being very tough to conquer. I am most sorry that it was not easy for you to put on and off the heavy boots, that all the time you had to visit the inventory. I am very sorry about that. I should have made it easier to switch to the heavy boots. Aside from the problem with the boots, I like the water temple so much. Aonuma would resolve his regrets with the 3DS remake of Ocarina of Time. The boots were shifted from the equipment screen to the item select screen, which allowed for quicker switching. The 3DS version also adds color coding to some doors to help distinguish them from one another, and changes the angles in some cutscenes to greatly aid in navigation. These changes are not in effect for the original N64 version I'm playing on Wii U. I'm not sure they would have made a difference for me, though. I feel like there are some genuine moments of obtuse or even potentially misleading design. This dungeon spans four floors. It's built around a large, open central room. There's a pagoda-like tower in the center. The central gameplay gimmick here involves raising and lowering water levels. Players enter on the third floor with the water level raised to its highest point. There are three locations to change the water level, which are indicated by a Triforce symbol on the wall. Players play Zelda's Lullaby on the ocarina to change the water level. Two of these water level changing stations are on the third floor, and one is on the second floor. When navigating this dungeon, it's best to work through floor by floor, making sure you can visit every accessible room each time you want to change the water level. I tried to do this, but still managed to overlook some things, resulting in major backtracking. On the first floor, players will meet Princess Ruto in a room flanked by torches. She urges Link to follow her and ascends to the third floor. As players float up, they're intended to notice a bombable wall on the second floor. But the 3D nature of the game makes this detail missable. Players could be faced the wrong way. I did not miss it on this playthrough, but I can remember missing it on my first. If I did not know about it, I could have potentially missed it on this playthrough, because the camera was zoomed in close to Link, obscuring the view. Once we reach the third floor, we'll find that Ruto has disappeared, and we won't see her again until the dungeon is complete. Players reach the first water level adjustment point. It drains the water, and here we're supposed to drop back down to the first torch room where we met Ruto and light two torches in order to open a door and obtain a key. I actually walked right past it, though, missing the first key, and I had to backtrack much later when I found myself short a small key. I should have noticed this, but I didn't. Players will also have to claim another key in a room with a swirling water vortex and a dragon statue. A crystal switch is inside the mouth of the statue. Players can trip the switch and then use the hookshot to quickly get to the other side of a gate. There's also an optional room with a gold skulltula. This stands out to me for how bizarre the solution to the puzzle is. A gate blocks access to the skulltula and a crystal switch to open it is on the other side of the gate. Players are supposed to do a spin attack to hit the switch which honestly makes no sense to me. Other sword slashes do not pass through the gate, neither do arrows or bomb explosions, but somehow the spin attack does. I understand the crystal switch was moved outside the gate in the 3DS version. A fourth outer path on the lowest level is currently inaccessible, meaning players need to move into the central tower. After using the hookshot to ascend, players change the water level to be at its middle level on the second floor and then dive down a newly opened hole on the floor to the basement level to claim another small key. This is also the time to return to bomb the wall we passed while following Ruto and claim a third small key. There's an eye switch on this level that opens a gate with a hookshot target behind it, but it can't be reached with our current equipment. We need to note this for later, and it is very important to note this. 
With three keys collected, players can head through a locked door on the second floor and use a crystal switch and a pillar of water to reach the third water-changing location. It raises the water back to its highest level. On this level, we can get the dungeon item, the Long Shot. We pass through another locked door to find a room with a waterfall and a series of platforms descending the waterfall. Each platform has a hookshot target on it. Players need to quickly grapple up each platform to ascend the waterfall. Onuma said this set piece alone inspired him to get much more technical with his design. In that staff interview on Glitterberry's game translations, he said, There's a place where Link can use his hookshot to climb the waterfall. I used a rare one-handed calculator to calculate each hookshot point. I usually spent my time doing more important things, but that day I did something unlike me and worked on the little details. I hope you enjoy yourself there. Let's talk about the mini-boss. Players find themselves in what appears to be an outdoor area. Shallow water fills a large expanse with a small building at the far end. A single tree sits on a small island at the center of the room. As players cross the room, they may notice Leek's reflection in the water. As players cross over the small island, his reflection disappears. The door to the far building is locked. And turning around, players will see a shadowy version of Link standing by the tree. It's a callback to Zelda 2. Link must conquer himself. There are a few strategies for taking on Dark Link. Generally, it's best not to target him. He's more likely to block attacks or even jump on top of Link's sword. Players can use Din's fire to deal damage, or alternate weapons. I ended up defeating Dark Link with the Megaton Hammer. After the apparition falls, the illusion of the outdoor space fades away, revealing that we're still inside the Water Temple. Through the previous locked door, we find the dungeon item, the Long Shot. It's an upgraded hookshot which reaches further than the standard version. From this room, players will make their way through a room with whirlpools that they need to avoid. They'll loop around to the room with the swirling water and the crystal switch in the dragon's mouth. From here, having been looped back to this point, it made the most sense to me to head straight to the previously inaccessible room on the first floor. We couldn't get in before because the long shot was required. I went through this room and I took on a series of challenges, avoiding vortexes and boulders, I even solved a block puzzle which involved blowing two holes in a wall to push the block onto a floor switch and raise the water level, only to run into a locked door at the very end of it all. Yeah, even though the game loops you around to the first floor, the next move is actually to head up to the second floor and adjust the water level to the middle. Then players can use the long shot to get through that quickly closing gate in order to solve a push block puzzle to get a small key. Then it's time to head to the long shot room on the first floor and brave its challenges to get the boss key. After getting the boss key, it's time to return to the third floor to head to the boss room. The room just before the boss is another strange room in my opinion. It's just an incredibly steep slope leading up to the boss storm with three spike traps bouncing between the walls. If players stop on the slope, they'll slide back down to the bottom. The best way to do this is to simply walk up the slope to one side. It's a strange final obstacle. The boss here is Morpha, a giant aquatic amoeba. It's a red spherical creature with tentacles made out of water, and it attempts to grab Link. Players must use the hookshot to grab Morpha out of the water tentacle and then land hits with the sword. It's possible to trap Morpha in a corner, making the fight significantly easier. I did not do this on my playthrough. I went several rounds with Morpha, pulling it from the water and landing a hit. It managed to grab me multiple times and throw me across the room. 
but after several rounds of this I was able to land the final sword blow and kill the boss. After exiting the temple, Ruto appears in the Chamber of Sages. She declares her unending love for Link and gives him her medallion to draw on her power as a sage. Returning to Lake Hylia, players again meet Sheik, who is impressed with Link's progress. Lake Hylia is restored to how it was before. Sheik then mysteriously disappears. We can actually see Sheik dive into the water while Link's back is turned. Normally I would end my weekly playthrough here after completing the dungeon, but there are a few things to round up at the lake, so why not do it? The first are the fire arrows. There is a tablet right near where Link and Sheik were standing which contains this riddle. It reads, When the water fills the lake, shoot for the morning light. Players need to shoot an arrow toward the sun as it's rising to make the fire arrows appear. On the northwestern side of the lake, there are two dirt plots. When Link was a child, there were two scarecrows, one in each plot. They're named Boonaroo and Pierre. Boonaroo says that he can remember any tune. Players then create their own eight-note song. Returning as an adult, players can play the same eight-note song to create the scarecrow song. Pierre has left his plot to explore the world. Occasionally, Navi will turn green and fly to an empty area. This is potentially a spot where players can play the Scarecrow song to make Pierre appear. Players can then use the Scarecrow as an anchor point for the hookshot or longshot. Next week we are going to brave the bottom of the well before venturing into Gerudo Desert to take on the Spirit Temple. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to follow along, please consider subscribing. Please also consider sharing this podcast with another Zelda fan. If you subscribed already, thank you, I really appreciate it. I am Paul Riley, I'll see you next week.